Exodus chapter 20 tonight. If you want to turn there with me, we are going to take a pause. I'm not sure how long we're going to take this pause, um, depending on how much uh, each one of the Ten Commandments takes as we go through them. But we're going to walk through the Ten Commandments over the next few weeks. And um, I want to just discuss, I think, to me, I think it's important that we understand that, that, that this point in human history is so monumental. And not only was it so monumental for its day, but, but yet it, it carries implications through all of, of human history to where we find ourselves today. You know, the Ten Commandments is something that the United States of America was, was founded on. It's something that was um, posted in all the courtrooms. It was, it was, it's, it's all over our capital, our nation's capital in Washington, D.C., as you guys know, over the last five years, there's been an attack on the Ten Commandments that are posted in our courtrooms, in our classrooms, and, and they're, they're taking them down. There was, a, there was in, in, in Oklahoma, in one of the courthouses, in front were huge, two huge tablets, stone, a foot thick, this big, this tall, next to each other that stood in front of the courthouse in Oklahoma. They fenced it off and brought in a, a construction crew with... with um, backhoes and removed the Ten Commandments because it was offensive to, to some. So, so we know the world we're living in today, um, that this idea of these Ten Commandments is so offensive, which to me is so asinine that, that even, even the world couldn't just take a, a, an honest look at what the Ten Commandments say and, and, and think that that is somehow offensive. I mean, it, it, again, the argument is very simple and it's very true. That if the world that we lived in today, from the time the Ten Commandments were given into today, or if we take them and they governed the society and the place that we live in today, what kind of world would we live in today if we followed the Ten Commandments? Even the last several, do not murder, do not lie, do not steal, do not covet what thy neighbor has, do not commit adultery. The family unit would be secure. And, and as the family unit was secure, then so goes society. Where husbands and wives would stay together, they'd honor their commitments. You wouldn't have to lock your doors. You wouldn't have to buy alarm systems. You wouldn't need to own guns other than for hunting. Because there would be no, no, no thieves you'd have to protect yourself from. There'd be no murder. How about this one? What, what if there were no lying in our world? What a trip. We all be living in what's going call its world in, uh, what was his Ace Ventura dude? <laughs> I mean, that movie where he can't tell a lie. Liar, liar. Uh, what if lawyers were like that? What if, what if, I mean, what kind of world would we live in? I mean, we can't even imagine. We can't even imagine the, the utopia. I mean, it wouldn't even be real to us because we can't imagine a society where people told the truth all the time. Where people didn't steal things, where people, you know, where people didn't want and covet and, and greed over what somebody else has that creates envy and sin and, and creates robbery and then things to get what, what the other people have. And, and, and that's just the last five. We get into the first five and all of us would just float as we walked across. We wouldn't even, I mean, it'd be such a good place where we would live as we would honor the Lord our God. We wouldn't have false idols. We, we, we wouldn't use the Lord's name in vain. I'm not talking in the commandment has nothing to do with cursing or a curse word. It has to do with, with, with preachers and churches and, and, and religions who misuse the name of God for gain and for profit. And they take the name of the Lord in vain. The biggest enemy of the gospel today. But again, 
just, just what kind of world would we live in if we just followed the Ten Commandments, right? So, so on this point in history, and you guys know the story. You guys know the story. A- Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. Those 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel to this day. The second to the youngest was a young boy named Joseph. His older brothers were jealous of him. He had a call of God on his life to be a ruler. And and God spoke to him at a young age. And he went around the dinner table one day. And he began to brag to his brothers and and his dad. And he said, one day... I had a dream that the, that the stars and the moon bowed down to me and all the sheaves bowed down to me. And the sheaves were his brothers and his family and the sun and the stars and the moon were, were his mother and father. And his dad pondered the thing in his heart and knew that it was true but didn't really act on it. But he treated Joseph with favoritism and it bothered his brothers and they hated him and they tried to murder him and they threw him down in a pit and they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And so goes the, the journey of Joseph. And as Joseph was, was a slave in Potiphar's house, and then he was in prison, and then he was elevated in prison to, 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 to work with the Pharaoh, and God gave him a dream that in Egypt or in the land um, that was there, there would be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And, and he gave this interpretation to Pharaoh. God raised up Joseph to be the second in command, and Pharaoh gave him everything that he had. And he said you, he didn't even know what was in his house. And, and, and Joseph managed it. Seven years of plenty, everything was wonderful. Then the seven years of famine hit. And, and Joseph had storehouses full of grain. And, and when everybody started running out, people from Egypt and all over began to travel to Egypt to be provided for during these seven years of famine. And this, this second to youngest son of, of, of Jacob, who, who his brothers had had tried to murder and then sold into slavery years earlier and thought he was dead. They show up from Israel in Egypt because there's no food in Israel. And you guys know the story. Joseph provides for them there. They bow down to him exactly as, as the vision that God gave him. Eventually his dad comes. Then, then, then God brings the 70 people that are the Hebrew nation at that time into Egypt where Joseph provided for them. And then years and years and years passed, as you know, and they began to have children and children. And the, 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 the Hebrew nation began to grow in Egypt till it reached a point where the Bible says, a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And when the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, he began to enslave the Israelites. He began to slave, enslave the Jews because they were becoming too numerous. And, and for 400 years, God's people were, were slaves in Egypt. Egypt is a picture of slavery. It's a picture of our life before Christ in bondage to the devil. The reality is we, we all serve somebody. We, we were born and created to serve. And that's what freedom is. Freedom is having the ability to do what we were created to do, which is serve God. Slavery or bondage is, is not serving God. You're still serving, but you're serving Satan as a slave. You're serving your addictions. You're serving your, 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 your passions. You're serving your drives, but you're serving something. And, 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 and there, was, there was no freedom. They were slaves in Egypt. It's a picture of our lives before Christ. And then you guys know the story. God raised up Moses. Moses led the people out of Egypt. Um, through a series of 10 plagues, crossed over the Red Sea, water baptism, baptism of the Spirit, as, as they entered the wilderness on this journey. 
They, they go through several stops on their way to a very famous place called Mount Sinai where God was going to pause his nation, now about three million people, and he was going to give them um, the, the law. The law was going to be given. And the law governed God's people all the way up until the time of Christ. And rightfully so, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament saints. And when John the Baptist died... We now have transitioned from the Old Testament to the New Testament, or in other words, from the Old Covenant, which was the law, into the New Covenant. I do like to point out, even though we look at the cross and we, ha- we say grace and law, law in the Old Testament, grace in the New Testament, this dispensation that we live in today of grace and, 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 and law in the Old Testament, which is true, but I want to point out, I want you to understand that, that the entire Old Testament was not governed by the law. We, we had thousands of years of human history before God gave the law to Moses. Abraham and all those that preceded Moses, so from Adam all the way to Abraham, so we've already gone through the flood. We've already, we've already gone through the Abraham taking Isaac up onto Mount Moriah without the law, without God governing his people with the law. It wasn't until after the, 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 the slavery, and Abraham is the middle point of the Old Testament. So from Abraham back is half of the Old Testament. And you find Abraham's story, um, you know, starting in like Genesis 17 or 16. And, and from, from, from the end of Abraham's life back is um, half of the Old Testament. Abraham forward is the New Testament. So, so now we get to the second half of the, of the Old Testament. And we run into Moses and, and this pause on Mount Sinai where God is going to bring the law. And before God brings the law, he's going to first start it with the Ten Commandments. What's interesting is that you don't have this very often in all of human history. God is going to do something very unique here in Genesis chapter 20. God himself is going to speak audibly to the people and give them and speak to them from his voice, from heaven, to the people. How many times in the Bible do we read where God the Father spoke audibly to his people? Not very many times. Can you guys think of another time? Guy, pretty cool, New Testament, long hair, beard, kind of cool looking dude, goes under the water, comes out of the water, and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, hear ye him. And the voice of God again speaks to his people. But you don't have it very often. And, and, and it speaks to the magnitude, the 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 importance of this thing. And, and it's very important um, intellectually, theologically. It's very important to understand that it had to come from God. And this standard of morality and this standard of good and evil and this, this, this direction that God was going to give to his people couldn't come from Moses. Because if it came from Moses, then again, what are we going to say when we want to reject the law? Who is Moses to tell me? Who are they to say that I can't do this? And that's the nature of each one of us. And so God himself shows up. Read it for yourself. Don't miss that little detail. God spoke audibly. And we, we, we hammered this out already a couple weeks ago. God spoke audibly to his people. Jewish, um, I don't even know what to call it, folklore, Jewish tradition. Because the Bible says that when God speaks, it's as a, a roaring thunder or as the sound of many rushing waters. And that when God spoke, he spoke in 70 different languages. Because at, the, at that time, 
there was 70 different tongues that, of people that were there and that God would have spoken 70 different languages and God spoke to the people. And then what's going to happen later? God is going gonna, is gonna to bring Moses up onto Mount Sinai. How many of you guys seen the movie Ten Commandments? Spoiler alert, you already saw it. And what, what's, what's going to happen, right? God, God, what's that guy's name? Ben-Hur? No, what's his name? Uh, Charleston Heston. He's going to go up on the mountain and God is going to write in his own hand, with his own hand, he's going to write on the tablets by himself the Ten Commandments. And Charleston Heston is going to walk back down the mountain with the Ten Commandments written on by God. So not only did God speak the Ten Commandments here in Genesis 20, in Genesis 32, God is going to write with his own hand on the tablets. You guys know the rest of the story, right? Moses comes down from the mountain. He'd been up there a long time. The people were dancing around golden calves and acting a fool. And Moses got upset as he did several times in his, in his life, right? Moses killed the Egyptian when he got angry, when he was, you know, pre-Christ or pre-really relationship with, with Yahweh, with the Lord. He gets angry and he hits the rock when he's supposed to speak to the rock. He, he gets angry here and he takes the tablets and he throws them on the ground and they break. And then God is gracious and God does it again and, and they, they have the Ten Commandments back. God makes a second set um, for, for, for our sin and for our mistakes. And so, again, as we have the, this, again, all that was to speak to the magnitude, really, of where we are. And, and the fact that, that these Ten Commandments, again, if we would just govern our lives with them all the way through. So, so then what is, what is the pushback? What is the, what is the negative? What is the um, critics going to say? That, that, that these are just rules and regulations and, and that, you know, we don't want to um, be governed. We're not governed. We're not under the law anymore. We are now under grace. The Ten Commandments are not for us. They're not relevant. They're Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. And so is that, is that in fact true? Is it in fact true that we, the, 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 the Ten Commandments are not relevant for us anymore? So we'll tackle that as well. I'm just going to spoiler alert. They, they are relevant for today. Um, I think we should start by reading them. How many of you guys know the Ten Commandments? Anybody? Let's do it as a group. Somebody say one. We'll see how many we can get. Don't cheat. Come on, the easy one. Thou shalt not kill. He said, thou shalt not kill. Sorry, Carl. Someone already took that one, bro. One? That's all we can do? Are you guys just being shy? Okay, that's better. Thou shalt steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't covet. No other gods before me. Honor your mother and father. It'll go well with you. No idols. We said no other gods before me. No idols. No adultery. Did we say, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And honor the Sabbath. Those are the ten. Okay, so we did it. So in order, let's read them in order. Genesis chapter 20. Now, I want to just um, bring your attention to something really quickly. In um, The Ten Commandments are written in which language? In Hebrew. The Old Testament is written in, in Hebrew. So um, Hebrew, for those that are just believe the rabbis of our day, um, the, the, the term commandments is actually statements, the ten statements. So for us, for Judeo-Christian, you know, we very common ten commandments. For in Israel, it's ten statements. And, and there's even between Jews and Christians, um, Orthodox Jews and Christians today, a little bit of a um, 
argument as far as the first commandment. Because they want to include the very first statement as part of the first commandment. And I think it's important um, in that to see that. But it will go through that. For us, for our, our purposes, uh, we have the ten. We'll highlight them. If you uh, write in your Bible, I'm going to ask you to write one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, just a little note somewhere as we go through them. So that in our mind we can get what is one through ten. Chapter 20, verse 1. And God said all these words, saying... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse number three is one. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse number four. You can mark a two next to verse number four. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who keep and love my commandments. Next to verse number seven, we're going to get the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That one, I think, is hard for us to understand. Um... Thou shalt not take the uh, the name of the Lord in vain. When we unpack that one, we'll get to it. The struggle that, you know, which I think it's just common sense that, you know, because we think if somebody says GD, that um, that is taking the Lord's name in vain. And, and I think that it is. I think it's, 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 it's not a good thing to do or say, but that's not what God is addressing here in the third commandment is a curse word. Okay. You when you're driving down the street and someone cuts you off and you say, Jesus Christ, what's wrong with that guy? You know, like that's that's taking the name, the, the Lord's name in vain. Yes, but that's that's not what the, thir- the second, the third commandment is dealing with specifically. We're going to get into that when we get in that one. As far as it carries much much bigger meaning than that. So as we go on, verse number eight, right four next to verse number eight, and then eight, nine, ten, and eleven all are commentary on on the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's, that's the only part you'll see on our tablets. And then we get three verses of explanation. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor shall, you, shall your son, shall your daughter, shall your male servants, your female servants, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who was within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hollowed it. First commandment, you know, the fourth commandment had something to do with animals. I think that's probably the first law, moral law, that would include animals and, and probably would, you know, encourage people not only in how they treated their animals one day a week, but probably the rest of the week. Um, That's for you animal lovers out there. Which is not me, by the way. I think it's a weakness in my life. I think it's probably a sin, right? That's probably a character flaw. I just don't like animals. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That's number five. Commandment number five, verse number 12. Verse number 13, you shall not murder. Commandment number six. Verse number 14, commandment number seven. You shall not commit adultery. Verse number 15, commandment number 8. You shall not steal. Verse number 16, commandment number 9. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Verse number 17, 
is commandment number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not cover your, covet your, your, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, nor anything that is in your neighbor's house. It's interesting. The 10th commandment has to do with your thought. Just what you think, right? So the first thing I want to tackle, I want you guys to turn with me to Matthew, is um, in the New Testament. Because the first question I want to tackle is, are the Ten Commandments relevant for us today? Okay? So it starts in, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 17, Jesus says, I'm in Mark, that's not going to work. I had some pride, I was like, ooh, I beat everybody there fast. And then I was in the wrong book. Matthew 5 Verse 17, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So Jesus said that, you know, I I think we get the idea that, that Jesus came and we don't live under the law anymore. And it's almost like Jesus came and said the law was bad. And I am good. And, and, I'm, and, the, and we're going to get rid of the law. And, and we're going to start now with this dispensation of grace and the cross and mercy and a new relationship I'm going to have with my people through the Holy Spirit. That's not what Jesus said at all. Well, some of it is what he said. But, but the idea of the Old Testament, it wasn't bad. It wasn't wrong. It was, it was just a chapter that had ended. And, and Jesus said, I'm not coming to abolish it or get rid of it or, or wish it never happened. I'm coming to fulfill it, to complete it, and then, and then move on. And, and, and as we complete it, we don't get rid of it. We, we, there's, there's things in the Old Testament that are, you know, that are Genesis to Revelation that we form doctrine on, that we form opinion on. And when we form major doctrine, major opinion, we take into consideration the entire counsel of God's law. Now, are there parts of God's law that, that we're not required to follow today? Are there parts of the Old Testament law that we're not required to follow today? All of it, most of it, right? 95% of it. I mean, the Old Testament said that um, for seven days a week that your wife should sleep outside the house. We don't, we're not, let me see one of you guys try to get away with that one. Right? My wife says, oh, I'd love it. I have me a little tent with some chocolate and thing. I'd, I'd be enjoying life out there for a week, a, a month. It says that if your children are rebellious, to stone them. The Old Testament law is, um, you know, so many things in the old. We wouldn't have many children left, right? And we wouldn't have many teenagers left. But but the, the those things, so as far as the the, the the keeping of the law, we're not under the law anymore. We're not bound by the law anymore. We're bound by grace. And again, when, when, when Frank Turek travels the nation and visits college campuses all over, the, all over the United States and he deals with these hostile atheists, the arguments are all the same. It doesn't matter what school he's in. They all have the same lame arguments. And they, they try to make the, this God of the Old Testament, this evil dictator God who, who kills children and you know stones people for and, and kicks women out of the house when they're on their period. And, you know... Um, and, and they, just, they just neglect the, the entirety of, of the heart of, of, of God's law, of, of who God is, of, of you know, what Jesus says here, that we're, we're not under the law anymore. Paul says the law was a schoolmaster. The law had a purpose. It had an intention. It served its purpose. It, the law was to show you and me that, that we cannot get to heaven by being a good person. 
Because the whole of the law, look, look at the very end of chapter 5. I'm jumping a little bit ahead here. But look, look at um, chapter 5, the very last verse of chapter 5, verse 48. So, so Jesus, and I, I should go through it. I'm going to go back and go through it a little bit. But, but Jesus is, is basically saying that, um, you know, people say, I'm a good person. There's a new TV show out now. I, I saw it, I guess, because I was, I was YouTubing some Ten Commandment videos today. And it, it's like the good person or the good life or the good place. Okay, so the, 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 the ad for the, that came up that you got to watch before your video starts, you know. And this one, you didn't get a skip in five seconds. You had to watch like 30 seconds of it. It was the good person test. And it starts with the, the main actress of this new TV show. And, and they ask her, they say, are you a good person? And she says, yeah, I think I'm a good person. And they say, okay, we're going to take you, we're going to give you the good person test to see if you pass or fail. And then they start asking her questions. And then there's these meters popping up, whether, you know, it's, it's negative or positive and whether she's a good person. And do you like animals? Do you, do you adopt animals? Do you, have you ever ghost, ghost left a party where you didn't go to the host and tell them goodbye? You just snuck out bad, you know, all these things. And, and these, this test of whether she's a good person or not. And then in the end, it's like 5,000 points to the green. She's a good person. And she's like, yeah, I'm a good person. And, and, and not one of the number one lies that you're going to face, that I'm going to face in witnessing and sharing with our friends, our family, they're going to get offended by it. And we're going to try to find a way to love and not offend people, but, but also show them that, that they're sinners. You know, I, I had someone get offended with me because I said, you're a sinner. And they just, they weren't, they were a sinner. They didn't know Christ and they took it offensively and you know, they didn't understand the heart of what I was saying, but we, we try to communicate this with them, that you're not a good person. And good person is subjective. Hitler thought, he, if, you, if Hitler was on that show, and he was there, and they were asking him, do you, do you think you're a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. Well, obviously, he's not a good person. Obviously, he's an antichrist. You realize if you asked a pedophile if you're a good person, what would he say? Yeah, I'm a good person. I have a little sexual preference weakness, but other than that, I'm, I'm a good person. So, so the lie that we face, the lie that the world propagates, the lie that, that lives in our own houses and our own, our own extended family and my house, extended and some of my family members is, I'm a good person. So the law says that you're, you're not, you're, if you want to be a good person and you want to get in heaven based on that, that's what Matthew chapter 5 is going to detail. And then Jesus is going to sum it up. And this is what Jesus says. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard of the law. You want to be a good person and get to heaven based on your own merits? Then this, this is what Jesus said you got to do. Just be perfect as God is in heaven. No big deal, right? James says in James chapter 2, just make a note there next to verse 58, 48. Um, James chapter 2, verse 10. James says that if you break one portion of the law, that you're guilty of all of it. That's the way the law works. You know, some people want to be graded on a curve. Oh, well, I, you know, I only broke one of the Ten Commandments. So nine out of ten, that's a 90%. That's still an A. I'm good. I get an A when I go to heaven. St. Peter's going to stamp A on my report card, and he's going to lead me into the streets of gold. But no, James says if you break just one, what, what, if, you're, what if you're in a, a, a lifeboat for your life, and you're out in the middle of the sea, and you've got... Ten planks that, that make this boat up. And nine of them are really good. But one of them is rotten and busted out right in the middle. I don't care if you got nine out of ten, you're going to sink. 
Because this, it's not the standard. And God's standard is you have to be as perfect as God. So let's, let's back up a little bit now. So in verse number, a couple of these. And you guys know this. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus said, You have heard it said. When would they have heard it said? In Exodus chapter 20, where we are. In the, in the, in the law, in, in the giving of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus is going to make the Ten Commandments relevant for you and I today. And he's going to take a physical law and he's going to spiritualize it. And he's going to write it upon the tablets of our heart. And he's going to up the ante a little bit. Because how many of you guys in here today have ever murdered somebody? Now, if you have, don't raise your hand. (laughs) I'm giving you permission to lie in church. Let me ask for forgiveness. Um, Nobody's murdered anybody before, I hope. I'm, I'm assuming. And so you might think, yeah, I've never murdered anybody. And so what does Jesus say? Jesus says in verse number 21, You have heard it, that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. How many of you guys have ever been angry with somebody without just cause? Raise your hand. Okay. Hey, there's like six murderers in here, so be careful. <laughs> be careful. And we got so we got we got a couple concealed carry guys in here, so you gotta protect us. We got murderers in this room. But that's what Jesus said. You're, you're guilty of murder in your heart. He takes it to the next level. Three more examples. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said. When have you heard that it was said of old? In, in Exodus 20, in the Old Testament, in the law of Moses, you've heard it, heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. If you're a man in this room, our hands are up. We're guilty. We've done that at some point in our lives. Possibly many of us women could be possible of the same sin. And Jesus said that you've already committed adultery. And and if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it far from you. Verse 33 says, again, you have heard it said that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, neither by the earth, for it is God's footstool, nor by Jerusalem, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair on white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And so Jesus takes... The, the Old Testament, and, and you ask, is it relevant for today? Yes, not only is it relevant for today, it, it, it's even increased. It's even encouraged to, to next level stuff where you, you, you don't even think an evil thought about a brother. You, you don't lust after a woman, you're guilty of adultery in your heart. You don't, um, you know, you don't give false witness. You don't lie, those things. Jesus takes it to the next level. You know, again, people will say, and and I've heard people say several kind of, I don't know, maybe not to them and maybe not to you, but to me, I've heard people say some stupid things. And and one of the things they say is, I heard heard a guy tell me before, oh, you know, I just, I just live by the gospels. You know, I just like the, I just like the four gospels and I just try to stay in those and just live by the gospels, whatever. 
You don't live by the Gospels, because if you live by the Gospels, you'd live by the rest of the New Testament. And, and it just doesn't make sense. Have you ever heard him say, oh, you know, I, I just live by the Ten Commandments? Well, no, you don't just, you know, and again, what, what, is, what is the argument? What is the heart of that argument? I just live by the Ten Commandments. The heart of that argument is I'm a good person. I don't murder people. I don't kill, you know, I don't, I don't commit adultery. I might have stolen once, but I'm not a thief. I'm not a liar. You know, I just, I'm a good person is basically what they're saying. Well, again, that doesn't fly because unless they're as good as God is in heaven and perfect as God is in heaven, they're still going to go to hell. And, and the, the, the truth of the matter, the reality is, right, if there's going to be good people in hell and there's going to be bad people in heaven, and that's just the simple fact because good and bad has no bearing on salvation. Good and bad has no bearing on, on, on heaven and hell. The apostle Paul was a murderer and at that point in his life, he's a bad person. King David committed murder and adultery and both of those guys are in heaven. And, the, and then you have good people who live by a moral code and a moral standard who, who reject the forgiveness of Jesus and try to get to heaven based on a moral standard and they stand before God one day and their deeds are judged and they're found wanting and they're, and, and they're not and Jesus doesn't know who they are because they rejected Jesus and tried to live a good life and they go to hell. And so um, th- those obviously don't fly, right? All right, let's go to Exodus and, and we're just going to look at the first one tonight. Um, so to answer the question, is, is the Ten Commandments relevant for us today? How do you guys feel? Okay, I, I think they are. I, I think they're, you know, monumental. I think they're worth stopping right here and spending a lot of time to, to unpack them and, 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 and talk about them. So the first thing it says, and God spoke all these words. So that's, that's what we've highlighted. If we went back to 19, you can read through it. God's going to set up the scene. He's going to say, hey, I'm going to speak to the people. And then here we have in verse 20, the first, first part says God spoke these words. So we have this monumentous occasion where God himself gathers the people around Mount Sinai and, and he speaks with his voice and he says, I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So, so the first um, standard is that this comes from God. And again, God is the compass of morality. You cannot have morality without God. So, so the atheists argue in a circle that there is no God. And, and, and the reality is if there's no God, there, there's no wrong. It's not wrong for me to rape and murder if there's no God. And the atheists want to have morality without God, which you can't do. Once you break it down, you can't do it. Why, why is it wrong? It, you know, the lions, and, and if, and, and if you, you include, if there's no God, then we evolved. And, and with atheism is um, assumed evolution or an evolutionary thought. And, and so if we're basically just highly evolved animals, and, and lions eat their young, wolves murder off the competition, coyotes murder off the competition in, in the life that they live, why, it's not wrong for them. Why would it be wrong for me to murder? You, you, you can't tell me. And, and again, they want to argue morality, but they can't. They can't apart from God. So, so the, whole, the whole idea is that you have to have God to have morality. 
And so God establishes first that this is going to come from him. He is the standard of morality. We can't know wrong if there's not a standard of right. And so here God is going to give us in his own voice for the first time laid out a a standard of rules of right of morality. And before he does that, he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the hand of 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 Egypt. Now, what's interesting is that God didn't say, I am the Lord God who created you. I created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. Listen to what I'm going to tell you right now. I'm God. And if you're going to listen to somebody, you want to listen to me. You know, he didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't lay out his credentials. You, you know, when, when God shows up in the garden, you guys know the story, right? Adam and Eve had sinned. And then God shows up in the garden, and, and, and the Bible says that God and Adam would walk in the cool of the day. They would hang out. That's the kind of relationship that God had with Adam. Well, that day, God showed up for their, their walk, and Adam wasn't there. Because Adam was hiding. Him and his wife were sowing fig leaves to cover their private parts. And God says to Adam, Adam, where art thou? In the King James Version. Adam, where are you? In the Ebonics Version, it says, hey, Adam, where you is, homie? But you know what? It, it, what we don't get in that is, is the intonation, the inflection, the, the tone of God's voice. We just get the words. So, so did God say, Adam! you what have you done i can't believe it you don't know but but the heart of god i I think what god said was adam where are you what have you done son adam where are you and i think here in this in the commandments as god's given the commandments again it's it's this heart and it's this language where god says i am the lord your god underline that word your highlight it Listen, I want you to know that he, he, this, this verb in the, in the Hebrew, it's not um, general to a group of people. I am the Lord um, God of this group here. It is, I am the Lord Dan's God, surrenders God. I am the Lord your God. So that you take that very personally. You can put your name there, that God is speaking specifically to you about you. I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of bondage in house of in, brought you out of Egypt, the house of bondage? So, so the the very essence of the Ten Commandments is God bringing His people out of Egypt, and we're going to call that set free or freedom. So God says, "Hey, I'm the God who is your God. I, I care about you, and and I want for you freedom." And the very kickoff to the Ten Commandments is about freedom. And so it's quite the opposite how we, we think about rules and regulations, right? We think God gives us rules and regulations to, to, to bind us. Do you know why I didn't walk with the Lord when I was 17 years old, 16 years old? I met the Lord when I was 14 years old. I asked Jesus in my heart when I was 14. I didn't get saved when I was 14. Because when I said the sinner's prayer, I gave 90%. And, and, and I held 10% because I, I, I grew up in an ungodly home where, where, where life was, was go and, and it was green light in every place. And I had my hand in a couple different areas of, of the world. And I thought that if I became a Christian, I couldn't have any fun. And God had these rules that I have to follow. And I, I didn't want to go to hell, but man, I didn't, I didn't want to have to give up some of these, these, these things because that was my impression of God was that God was going to 
bind me and inhibit my freedoms. But yet, as God's going to give us the very commandments of morality, the very freedoms, his whole purpose in it is to give us freedom so that we are free to, to, to follow and worship God. And then what happened to me as a young person? I, I, I wanted freedom, so I, I, I stayed away from God. You know, what I, you know what kind of freedoms I got? When I was 20 years old, I was fully addicted to methamphetamines. I was in complete bondage to drugs and alcohol. I, I had, I had a, my girlfriend at the time was, was pregnant, and we were both on drugs. And, and my life was absolutely a mess because of the bondage that I was in to this world and to the things of this world. And, and, and here God says, I give you rules. It's like this, for example. If, um, let's say you have a house and at your house in the front yard, you live on a little busier street. People travel it often and you, your kids want to play out in the front yard. And, and so you come out and you, you build a fence around the front yard. You mean, dirty old dad. Can't believe you, you blocked me in. What, what, what does the fence do? Does the fence take away freedoms? No, the fence enables freedoms. And if it takes away any freedoms, it takes away freedoms that are going to get you killed. It's going to keep you out of the street where you're going to get run over by a car. And so in love, dad builds a fence to protect and says, hey, stay within this fence. And, and, and it's safe in here. And you're going to have all the freedom you want. And, and, and you're going to stay safe. Now, now, what happens when, you know, your, your child gets outside the fence and, and um, you know, as a father? Now, this is getting into another thought, but listen, if, um, if the premise of, of, of God's parameters for us, let me, um, let me come back to that thought, you guys, because it opens a whole other can of worms that we're going to get into, but let, let, let me stick to where we are for a minute. Um, we'll come back to the fence analogy. So God's law or God's parameters, again, I want you to understand that God didn't start with Adam and Eve with the law, right? He didn't give the law to Adam and Eve. It wasn't until Moses. God had already loved his people. God had already cared about his people. God already um, was showing them that he was for them and he wanted to bring them out of bondage and give them freedom and care for them. And, and, and his law was, was, was in love and for love and set the parameters that, that they would live in. You know, it's like, for example, God says, don't have sex outside marriage. So what, what is the result of, of the, the sex culture that we live in? Abortion, unwanted pregnancies, single moms, sexually transmitted diseases. God says don't have sex with monkeys. So I'm not exactly sure that that's exactly the culprit, but what's the result, right, of of bestiality that God tells us to stay away from? The result is disease that kills millions of people and and all kinds of things. And so God lays out these these laws that are for you, that, that that, that are intended to bless you because he loves you, and, 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 and we, we despise sometimes just in our nature, it's our sin nature, that, that God is setting parameters. But again, as we 
start to dissect this, I want us to get in our heart right away that these parameters are good. They're, they're, they're for blessing. They're for, because God loves us and God has um, given us these things, not to keep us from freedoms, but so that we would have freedoms. Amen. All right, let's look at the first um, commandment. I'm not going to forget the fence. We're going to get back to the fence and what happens when the kid gets out of the fence. All right, verse number two. Verse number three. You shall have no other gods before me. So a couple of things I want to look at, a couple Old Testament examples, a couple New Testament examples. Um, really quickly, little parentheses here, little side notes. Um, we're going to wrap up here pretty quick too. Um, when, I was, when I was kind of unpacking the, the, the first and the second commandment, no other gods before me and no false idols. I was kind of like having a hard time like drawing like a hard line. Like what, what is the difference? Because it seems to me like sometimes in our lives these false idols can become our gods and, you know, no false gods and idols that the two first and second commandment needs like a, a, a drawn line and between an idol and a god. And I think there are some clear-cut examples of, of things that, you know, can become idols in our lives and things that are gods. But the first commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. God's going to go on and in the next one he's going to say that he's a jealous God. And again, an area where, um, you know, the atheists and, and those want to attack that this is a negative attribute of God, that he's jealous. But God doesn't want to share his, he, he doesn't want to share you with anybody. That, that he wants exclusive rights to you and that he wants you to, to, to be loyal to him and only him. Is that, is that a strange concept? How many of you married men enjoy sharing your wife with everybody else? We don't, right? That's ridiculous, you know? Like, um, and it's sin and Satan if it ever, you know, somebody thinks and, and, and that that's a good idea. And you watch lives, again, that get destroyed through that nonsense. But, but God wants exclusive. He wants us to himself. He wants um, no other gods before us. Um, ter- re- if you can follow me if you want, or you can just stay where you are, and I'll be right back there because I'm going to grab a couple scriptures quick. A couple Old Testament, a couple New Testament examples. First with this idea of no other gods. And what does it mean to have no other gods? In Deuteronomy chapter s- um, 6 and verse 4, the great Shema. You guys should know this by now. You should have this memorized. This is, this is the great Shema, super important as Christians that we know it. It's the mantra of Israel in uh, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command to you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you walk, when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And so um, this idea that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. This is no other gods before me. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Then um, Solomon says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So we have this one God that, that, that we're to have this healthy fear of. Now, now, not fear like, you know... Jason or from Friday the 13th is coming through the back door and he's got his machete or whatever in his hand and that ridiculous hockey mask on and you know he's going to get shot in his face a couple times but um, he's coming in and we're afraid of him that that's not that type of fear 
it, it, it's a healthy fear of love. Your dad told you, I want you home at 6 o'clock. It's 6.30. You're like four houses from your house. And your heart starts to pound a little bit because you're late. And, and there's that healthy fear of your father. Your father's not going to bust your teeth out. He's not going to, you know, do anything uncanny. He's going to give you a lecture. Maybe you get a whooping that, that you'll recover from. And, and life goes on. But there's that, that healthy relationship fear that, that I've, I've, you know. And so in that, Solomon says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And for us as Christian people, there needs to be, according to the word of God, a, a respect, a fear of the Lord that's healthy and, and in putting no other gods before him. And then Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 22... verse 37, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Didn't we just read that? Isn't that an Old Testament thing? Why is Jesus saying in the New Testament? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The heart of God has always been the same for you, for me, for Moses, for God's people, from Adam and Eve. God wants relationship with his people. That's not a New Testament thing. That's a God thing. That's the heart of God. Same concept from the commandments, from the very beginning of the Ten Commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You shall have no other gods before me. It speaks of the same thing. Um, Jesus spoke of that. And then um, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was dealing with Satan in verse number 10, and Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so Jesus, again, affirms this idea that we have no other gods before him. And then um, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in chapter 6, of the, verse 33 of Matthew, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So the premise is seek first God. God first. You need a wife. You need finances. You need, you need issues. You, you need things resolved. You don't seek resolve of those issues. You seek first God and let God work those things in your life and that we put God first. Now, what, the, the premise here though, right, is that if God is going to say, have no other gods before me, wouldn't the premise have to be then that there were other gods? Are, are there other gods? Absolutely, right? There, there, there has to be. There has to be other gods. Now, we know that there's only one God, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is no other God. The reality of life is that there's, there's two kingdoms. Satan is called the God of this world. But God with little g, there are many. Broad is the road that leads to, leads to destruction. And so God wouldn't say, have no other gods before me if other gods didn't exist in our lives. So other gods do exist. And we make gods of them. And we worship false gods. They're false gods. There's no other real gods or true gods. We know that. But there are false gods in your life, in my life. There are false gods that exist in this world. And many of them. Many, 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 many. Do you know that Christianity... um, And maybe someone could prove me wrong on this, but Christianity is the only, and in this statement of God, it's the only religion, the only place where 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 you you're not encouraged, the only culture or society where you're not encouraged to worship only one God. You know, so so many of these cultures, especially of Moses' day and all the way through, they had a God for everything. And and you had many gods, and you worshiped many gods, and whatever favor you needed, you worshiped that God. And here God says, I am the only God. And worship me only. 
But yeah, the premise is that there's, there has to be many gods. Now, biblically, we understand that there's two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. All the many, many false gods fall into the kingdom of Satan. One God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord our God, Jesus, is, is the true God, the real God in the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of light and the, and the road that leads to salvation, Jesus said, is narrow. And he is the only way to get to, to, get to the Father is through Jesus. Now, on the road that leads to hell and that kingdom, the kingdom of Satan. And very interesting, right, that the Bible describes Satan as, as a god of this world, little g. There's, there's many gods. I could follow the god that we saw in, in Frank Turek's video, the god of Molech. That could be the god that I worship. Or I could worship um, the god of, of, of Pan. Or I could worship Allah. Or I could worship any, any number of false gods and lead to the same place. But only worship one true god to lead to heaven. So, real quick, and then, and then we're going to be done, you guys. We're just, we're, we're about out. We'll finish the first commandment. Were there, were there other gods that the, that the, Hebrew, the Hebrews worshipped? Were there other gods that the Canaanites worshipped? And that the Hebrews, throughout their history, the Hebrew people, um, were, were in idolatry and worshipping other gods? Were there other gods present that they were worshipping? Yes, there were, right? So some of the gods we know, God of Baal is a God of power. And, and if you needed power and you wanted power, you worship Baal. And, and that's very common um, God of the Canaanites that, that the Israelites adopted throughout their history many times. The God Ashtoreth is God, the names of gods you heard before, the God of pleasure. And, and, and we have, um, you know, Mammon. Mammon was the God of prosperity. Did Jesus speak of this God? Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. Mammon or, or God. You know, if you serve your money, and, and that was a God of the Old Testament, the God of Mammon, the God of prosperity, the God of, um, that, that Jesus spoke of. And then we had Molech. Molech was um, the, the God of pragmatism or practicality. Do whatever it takes to get ahead. Molech was the God that was in the... In the picture, do you see him? There was a fireplace that coming up, and they would they would build a fire in this in this um, idol, this f- carved idol. He would have outstretched arms like this, and in order to worship this god, you would place your baby in his arms, and 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 your baby would burn to death to worship this false god Molech. That 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 you find another way they would worship Molech in a very similar way, the god of um, do what it takes to get ahead, the god of practicality is you would take your babies and they would put them in a very similar type of thing. They would put them in earthen vessels, in jars, and they would, they would put them inside the walls of whatever they were building, a business, a house, and, and it, was, it was a sacrifice to Molech so that he would bless your business. And, 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 and so we, you know, we look at that today and we say, well, God, we would never put our babies in the arms of a molten God and sacrifice them. We would never put our babies in earthen jars, but yet... Do we have those same gods that exist today? Do we not do it the same today? How, how about the the, 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 the God where we're so driven by success that we, we don't raise our kids and we barely see our kids and we work, 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 work so much that we don't spend any time with our kids and raising them? What's the difference if we put them in an earthen jar? The result is going to be the same. It's the same type of idolatry. It's the same type of false worship of a false god. We, 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 we today, when, when a baby gets in the way of 
of success and of life and of planning. I forget. I don't know what the number is this year. The last number I heard, it's it's a what two million a year. Abortions are performed in the United States. And 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 is that same God fifty nine million babies since Roe versus Wade have been murdered in the United States, and globally the number is astronomical. When, when when we do the same thing, and yeah, we we don't live in a day where you know we bow down and lay the baby on the thing, and but we do the same thing. We do it. You know you know the the largest um, demographic of abortions are not among young girls; they're among career women. Much more abortions happen for career women than they do for, for young girls who, who um, you know, got pregnant out of wedlock. In Isaiah, last scripture, we're going to close here. Isaiah 46, verse number 1, Isaiah chapter 46, after the Psalms, Isaiah says, Bell bows down and Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beasts and and the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded and burdened the weary beasts. Skip down to verse number five. To whom will will you liken me and make me equal and compare me, that we would be we should be alike? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith, and he makes it a god. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on their shoulders and they carry it and set it in its place and it stands. You know, it's so funny that, that they, we, we make these gods. And, you know, and so many times um, in the Bible, um, somewhere along the line, God, one of the prophets, somebody, they're, they're like making fun of and jest. They're bagging on these gods. And, and here God just lays out the practicality of, of these, these literal, and again, you know, we, we can look at the Old Testament and they would take a, a piece of wood and they would carve it into a God and they would carry it in their pockets. You would find them all over Israel, all over the land of Canaan. They would put them in their houses. Now, we don't, we don't see that too much in our culture, right? You and I, we don't carve these images. And, and, and we, maybe in, in like the Buddhist culture, you go to the local like Chinese restaurant, you walk in and there's a Buddha doll and it always has some fruit because they have to feed their God to keep it happy. And it'll have some incense burning and, you know, and, and so the, the, the God is carved with these little ears and these little eyes. And, and God says, yet they, these gods can't hear you. These gods can't see you. These gods have hands, but they can't help you. And the, the irony of these gods that we serve that, that, that just don't have any power. In this particular case in Isaiah, he says, you have to carry them on your backs. You, you stand them up. They, they stand, but you have to place them there so that they'll stand on their own. And, and, that, and that these gods. And so in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is physical pictures of spiritual truths in the New Testament, right? Hopefully we established that through our study of the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, they had actual gods that they carved. In the New Testament, you and I, we look at them and go, oh, we would never do that. But yet we have the same exact idols and gods and, and, and falsehoods in our life just packaged a different way. And, and, and again, they're gods, the gods of power, the gods of pleasure. So they, they would have a, a multi-breasted goddess Diana, a goddess of pleasure. And today we have pornography and magazines and internet and 
and these types of things. And we have the God of power and, you know, we, we, we get jobs and we do whatever it takes to climb the corporate ladder and we hurt whoever it takes and whatever it takes and we worship this and everything else. You know, our family is sacrificed. Our health is sacrificed. Everything is sacrificed to achieve these, these goals of these other gods. And then, and then he says in verse... Um, Number seven, from its place it shall not move. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer, nor save him out of his trouble. And so these gods won't save you out of your trouble. You know what happens? We have all of these things going on in our lives. And we put all this stuff in our lives in front of God, and then cancer shows up in our house. And when cancer shows up in our house, we don't turn to our, our pornography God. We don't turn to our, um, our power God, our, our pleasure God, our, our mammon God of money. We, we, we have all this money, but what good's it going to do us? We've got cancer. And then, and then because why? Because all these gods in our lives, they don't save us. They don't help us. They don't have hands that can touch our situation. They don't have ears that can hear or mouths that can speak. And, and, and then there comes that prophecy fulfilled that where God said, you will as a commandment, as a prophecy, as a prediction, you will have no gods before me. Because at that point, when, when those things happen, these, these idols all fall apart. And we've all watched it so many times. We've watched so many times where people had all these things in our lives that were more important than God and, and serving God and serving His people and, and giving and loving and, and, and doing the things that God calls us to do. Everything else was more important until something hits our house and then we realize that those gods can't help us. And then we run back to the true God and, and we bow down. And God said to avoid that trouble in your life. What did he say? What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus, and we, we thank you, Father, for, for this day. I thank you, Father, for this message and this heart of the Ten Commandments. And Lord, just this reality, God, that we, we put false gods before you. And, and Lord, in, in our lives, if, if there's things in our lives that are, that are false gods, that um, Lord, anything that we've put before you, Lord, that you would just convict us, that you would show us in a loving way. And Lord, I pray that this message, Lord, would, would not speak any condemnation because the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that it would just speak practically and lovingly, Lord, to, to perspective in our lives, God, that, that we're to put no other gods before you. And Lord, I know at times, Lord, and, and in seasons in my life, in all of our lives, Lord, we, we put things before you. And so God, forgive us of that. Lord, wash us clean in the, in the blood of Jesus. Forgive us of our sin. And Lord, you, you don't tell us not to worship any gods because uh, you have an ego trip. You do that and you give us these commandments because you love us. You build a fence around our lives and this is the beginning plank in, the, in these ten planks of this fence called the Ten Commandments. And God, you do it to help us. And Lord, you do it to give us freedoms. And so that we don't get caught in bondage and get out there in the world and get run over, Lord. And and God, I pray that we would receive these commandments. Your word says that blessed is he who loves your commandments and, and abides by your commandments and obeys them. We're studying First John on Sunday mornings, Lord. And, and John tells us that this is love, that, that we, we obey the commandments of God. And Lord, it's done in love and it's for love and it's by love that you've given us these statutes, these commandments, these laws. 
Lord, you've, you've laid out for us a parameter in which we'll be blessed. And so, Lord, just forgive us. And we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us when we, we, we take these parameters as, as being against us or, um, Lord, and, and not for us. Lord, help us in our hearts to, to know and believe that the, the things that you've laid out are to bless our lives because you love us. And, Lord, help us to be obedient to your commandments in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.